Welcome to Building Vibrant Communities, a podcast for anyone interested in supporting and being part of the future success of our cities and towns. Okay, so so today we are speaking with Shelly Danner and Jeremy Lewis. They are members of the Pay It Forward team, and they're going to tell us a little bit about their successful crowdfunding campaign. Um, welcome to the podcast, Shelly and Jeremy. Um, at a time like this, I am so excited to share your inspiring story and help use it as a catalyst for others who are looking at ways to support their communities. Um, can you just introduce yourselves and let us know how you became part of the team? Shelly, ladies first. Oh, thanks, Jeremy. Hi, everyone. My name is Shelly Danner, and um, it's been a really wonderful project to be part of. Um, I think the the five of us, um, we all live and work in Detroit, and we kind of overlap both socially and professionally. And we all wanted to do something to help our community during the pandemic. And, you know, someone sent an email and then we got on the phone and then we got on a Zoom call and, you know, one thing led to another. And now we're, we're here talking to you about how the campaign went. Jeremy, do you want to add on to that? I'm Jeremy Lewis, a native Detroiter and community developer. I think Shelly kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, this all started for me through relationships, relationships that we have with each other as well as with our communities and the businesses in those communities. Uh, on a Sunday night, I got a text from Sarah Kraft who said, hey, dude, are you free to talk later today? I got something I want to run by you. Like Shelly said, you know, a text message, a Zoom call, and $50,000 later, we've helped power about nine businesses uh, plus a mobile delivery service. Yeah, that is amazing. Um, how did each of you, you know, specifically your backgrounds become, you know, I know this is a group of friends that got together to form it, but um, tell me a little bit about each of your specific backgrounds. Yeah, that's, so, such, that's such a great question because as we've been reflecting on how this campaign has gone, it's become so apparent that each of us are bringing really important skills to the team. And I think that is why this has gone so well. Um, so I can share. So all of us have um, a background in nonprofit and entrepreneurship or social entrepreneurship. Um, my background is I do run a small nonprofit um, with a couple of other people here in Detroit. And I also have a consulting background, and I also teach um, a graduate courses in adjunct faculties. So I think um, one of the strengths has been being a connector and also really knowing a lot about the, the nonprofit community here. And like Jeremy was saying, the relationships. Um, I'm happy to share about some of our other team after Jeremy. Do you want to talk about the, Jeremy has brought a lot to the table um, in terms of his his relationships in the community. Well, I'm a reformed sales guy. I used to work in the media industry at CNN, Weather Channel, and Weather Bug. Uh, so for me, everything starts with relationships. Um, so currently, I serve a nonprofit called the Live Six Alliance, and we are working to support and accentuate and develop uh, four communities in Northwest Detroit. I serve as the commercial corridor manager, and most of my work centers on engaging small business owners as well as residents. 
So I think my role kind of centered on identifying businesses that might be viable and might benefit from participating. Um, that's kind of the role that I've played. I think that we've all found our niche within this Pay It Forward initiative. And I think that's what really makes us work so well together. And then um, one of our team members is actually a restaurant owner and chef himself. And so when we were thinking about putting together a team and wanting to support small businesses and pay restaurants, we thought it would be necessary to have someone on our team be a restaurant owner themselves because they have that perspective. They have the knowledge of what it takes right now during a pandemic to stay open. And so Godwin has been just so incredible to be on the team. And he also has relationships in the restaurant industry. Um, Sarah Kraft runs, uh, she's a director, the Detroit director for Venture for America. So she works a lot with startup, the startup community and entrepreneurs and has a lot of connections. And then Melanie Devlin works for the Detroit Regional Chamber and has a lot of background in the education community. And, and so again, I think we all have these ties and I think that's part of why we're so socially minded and really wanted to see what we could do above and beyond our day jobs to really support um, people in need in Detroit during the crisis. And I'll add that uh, I actually at one time worked with both Sarah uh, and Melanie at the Detroit Regional Chamber, and Godwin and I have known each other since we were elementary school mates. We went to the same elementary school as well as high school. And I run a fellowship <laughs> program called Challenge Detroit, and I've invited Jeremy to speak on <laughs> panels. Um, I've also worked with Sarah Kraft when she was at Detroit Soup and have um, catered events with Godwin's Food from Young Village and have worked with Melanie on initiatives at the chamber. So I think that the, the theme or the insight is having these, um, you know, connections and um, being able to, you know, use those have, have been really successful in this, this project. Yeah, and that kind of shoehorns into what my next question was that like your focus was on supporting minority owned restaurants and then kind of connecting them to people in need. So, you know, what helped you identify those restaurants? And then on the flip side, how did you identify the community that was most at need and then kind of connect those dots? Um, I think that my day-to-day -day work positions me very closely with business owners, restaurant business owners, uh, small business professional centers, tax shops. Uh, so I was working with them prior to this initiative and trying to understand how they were most affected by what was going on. Um, Unbeknownst to me, members of the other team of the team were also thinking about the same things. Many of us had relationships with NSO uh, as well as COTS and other partners like that. So I said, hey, I'm hearing that people are losing so much revenue, and we're finding out that there's segments of the population that just aren't being touched or considered, the less fortunate, the, those that are already most challenged. Um, so this idea was basically a win-win. It's an opportunity to pour an injection of revenue into small businesses while also providing fresh food and fresh meal, high quality meals, not pizza or burgers from a fast food joint. But we wanted people who were experiencing some of the most significant challenges they could ever imagine at one of the most polarizing times ever to have a fresh, healthy meal. So I think that 
I'm, I'm all about win-wins. I'm a sales guy at heart. So win-win-win, uh, what I think we were able to develop through these partnerships and identifying needs of people, different segments of the population. And then I can add on, so the five of us on this Zoom call in late March, early April, you know, we were putting our heads together and we were really thinking about needs and the neighborhoods came up in discussion right away. And so we wanted to identify relationships um, that we might have with restaurant owners that are in neighborhoods. And at one point we were thinking, oh, it would be so cool if we could have a restaurant from every neighborhood in Detroit be part of this. And we, we are actually so thrilled with how many neighborhoods and restaurant partners we have been able to um, support even though it might not be every single one. Um, but we went big in our initial brainstorming. Um, and then also with the, the homeless shelters. So like Jeremy said, we have some connection to NSO. And we first learned about their need because due to the COVID, they had to move some of their residents to another facility that was better set up for social distancing. And it turns out that that facility did not have an operating kitchen. Therefore, they were going to have a need for outside um, food to be <clears throat> brought in to feed their homeless um, residents. So that's where we realized, like, here's an immediate need and a, an organization that we are connected to that we can try to help. And then from there especially because we raised more money than we thought we might, we were able to expand our reach. And Alternatives for Girls is a partner organization of NSO. And then we have um, other connections and relationships with the two other shelters that we were able to add on later um, because, again, we wanted to serve as many people um, in this crisis as we could with the money that we raised. Um, so talking about the money, um, what kind of, how did you decide to use crowdfunding and, you know, get, get to patronicity as the next step from your Zoom call? Well, I'll be frank. I'm going to give that credit to Sarah and Melanie. Uh, crowdfunding for me is something that I've shied away from, but I am now a true believer of. I've seen the power of it. I've seen the power that you can never do relationships. Um, I really can't answer that question. I think that Sarah and, and Melanie are best equipped to do that. I think they also have relationships with you guys. I did participate on the call with Patronicity, and I can say that not only is this a great platform, but we were also given a lot of support and best practices that lended itself to the success of our campaign. Something that we've so appreciated is the wonderful communication and support that we've gotten, the assistance we've gotten from Patronicity. And, um, you know, as Jeremy was saying, Melanie and Sarah definitely had the idea to use patronicity. And again, every choice we made in this campaign was very intentional. And what we like about patronicity is there are some local Detroit ties um, with Chris, um, who I think most of us know. Um, he's one of the co-founders of patronicity and is local to Detroit. And... Um, then also we wanted to use a platform that was not the the kickstarters right because they're getting a lot of um 
they're getting a lot of business, if you will. And so we wanted to do like we have this value of supporting small, supporting local, and we wanted that to be part of every aspect of this project. And so that's why patronicity really made sense for us. Yeah, and I think sometimes people, you know, as you were saying, Jeremy, look at crowdfunding as, um, you know, asking for a handout or it's intimidating. And I think, you know, your campaign has proven that it's it's really fostering relationships and connections and then how impactful that can be. Um, you know, and again, your campaign exceeded initial expectations. So you started out with a little goal and then it really got bigger very quickly. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think when you and I kind of touched on it earlier, uh, Sarah and I kind of went back and forth. I was like, I don't know if we can hit $10,000. Unbeknownst to me, we hit that in, what, three or four days? Uh, I was in awe. I think we all kind of did our due diligence. We compiled an email list. We used our social media. And uh, it was people were overwhelmingly supportive. And I was in awe. She gives me crap for that now. Like, you didn't think we can get this, and now we got $50,000. Um, so that's my piece. I'm sure Shelby has something she could probably add. Yeah, I think that the, the way patronicity is set up really works so well. And one thing that we, you know, we, you know, instead of just one network, it's five networks. And so by all of us really reaching out and then other friends would start sharing so that, you know, that trickle effect. And, oh my goodness, we are just so grateful for all of the donations. We have over 540 donors and it's just incredible. And, you know, whether it was a small amount or a large amount, every single dollar is making a difference. And that's the thing about this campaign is that we really couldn't have done it without the community and the donors. Like we... We just are so grateful and it really energized us. Like one thing that was so fun is all of us, I think we were just constantly refreshing the patronicity page all day long. You know, we're working from home on our laptops and I would just be like, refresh, refresh. And every time we saw the number go up, it just like, it made us feel better. You know, like the day was better because, you know, something was happening on patronicity. Different, um, uh, I guess, groups that we have relationships within. There's also a lot of overlap, and I think that that kind of really pound in the message that we're all doing this together. So people say, "Hey, I know Shelly, I know Jeremy, I know Sarah." Oh, this is this speaks to what these people are doing. I think that gave us a lot of credibility and made people more apt to uh, support us. And I was just going to add, you know, from a personal note that I, you know, am in see a lot of these campaigns. Um, but I was compelled to make a donation, albeit a small one, affordable one for me, um, to your campaign because the story I felt um, was so poignant and it, you know, felt so authentic in how it was helping community that I thought, you know, I could pitch in and do my little part to support it. So I think that's really the, the value of, you know, your story and how quickly it reached and escalated. Oh, thank you so much. Thank and you so and much. The thing is, we had people from far away donate. Like, to your point, you know, if you're putting it on social media, you know, if you're connected across really the world, you know, anyone can see it. And I think that it was such a compelling idea that people were moved from other cities 
in the U.S., even if they didn't live in Detroit, to make a donation and to be part of, of helping. Yeah, and that was kind of one of the questions I had was like, you know, what kind of people supported your cause and were there surprises there? The biggest surprise for me was one of the largest philanthropic entities. Um, I'll be honest, uh, they typically don't lend their support to small initiatives. I think many of the philanthropic organizations here are looking to do a larger system change. It was very flattering to get a, a nice contribution from uh, one of the most notable philanthropic or organizations, foundations uh, that we have here that leads a lot of the work. It's been very instrumental in the renaissance or uh, post-bankruptcy um, life for Detroit. And then just to show, to add on and show the, the complete spectrum of donors to this, um, one of the inspiring contributions for me was seeing that we had some other restaurant owners who donated. And I just was so moved because all restaurant owners are struggling right now. And we couldn't partner with every restaurant in neighborhoods in Detroit. And to see that they were supporting a fellow restauranteur in Detroit amidst the pandemic when they might not even be open themselves. Oh, how moving is that? Right. There definitely wasn't a spirit of competitiveness. There was definitely a spirit of support. Um, again, to Shelly's point, one could have asked, why not me? One could have said, hey, I'm in this district too. Uh, but overwhelmingly, everyone supported this initiative. I think that because the business owners looked like them, they were opening back up and able to employ maybe a, a, a neighbor or a friend for a day uh, to, to, to roll out 150 meals, for example. Uh, I think everyone was able to identify with it, whether they're in the city, whether they're in the suburbs, uh, whether even outside of the state of Michigan. So I guess, you know, now what is the, maybe you can talk about the impact of that work. You know, has it created a ripple effect? Um, you know, our economy is opening, albeit slowly and under a new paradigm. How are those restaurants adjusting to that? Like, what's, what's the current status? Sure. I, I, Jeremy will have some, some good stuff to say, but I wanted to comment on um, one other thing that, again, was very intentional that I think made our campaign stand apart. Um, so there are a lot of other initiatives and projects, not just in Detroit, but in other cities too during the pandemic um, around feeding the front lines. And you know that includes like healthcare workers and other people in need. And I think for us, the fact that we chose black and brown owned businesses was was the part of the initiative that I think might be different than a lot of other campaigns or projects because that was really our intent to understand how inequities have been amplified by the crisis and to really try to do our small part to counter that. And we know that that doesn't solve it, but that was, I think, something that we talked about on almost every Zoom call we've had as a team, about how that matters to us and how we wanted to really stand apart in that way, that we were really intentionally putting these dollars into black and brown owned businesses 
that might not be getting all the visibility and promotion um, right now. Yeah. Shelly, I mean, I think you touched on something that really hit me. You know, it's it's not the solution, but it is the solution. I think that it takes what we call allies these days, um, getting behind projects, getting behind initiatives that are openly unabashedly about about black and brown people. Uh, I think that that is the solution. I think that many people today ask, what's the solution? is for non-black and brown people to help support black and brown people, uh, but also to help create sustainability. I think that's one thing that we understand to be important. We know that our funds, though we raised $50,000, it doesn't last forever. Um, so we've been trying to figure out how this thing keeps moving forward. And that might not be in terms of us paying restaurants, but we do believe that our networks, the crossing of our networks, and the platform we've had has helped to highlight many businesses that may not have been top of mind for someone in an outer ring suburb or inner ring suburb. So we've hoped that we've raised the profile of these businesses and that the contributors and those who visit these businesses and restaurants are able to continue supporting them and in that spirit of sustainability. So what is the current status of the Pay It Forward program? Well, we are, again, we're so thrilled and grateful because we have been able to pay these businesses for longer than we expected. And then, of course, the win-win that Jeremy was saying is that we're feeding more homeless people for longer. So we are in week seven of paying businesses and serving meals seven days a week to now four homeless shelters in the city of Detroit. And we are working on tallying up the numbers. I think we had an interim um, number of meals delivered, but we'll definitely calculate the final um, total when we get to the end of the money. Um, we are approaching the end of the funds that we raised. Um, and so we'll be probably ending fairly soon. But like I said, we, you know, when we first got on that call in late March, early April, we said, even if we could do this for one week, it would be worth it. It would be more than worth it. And now we've been able to go almost eight weeks. And so, you know, we are just so thrilled. I think we've been delivering um, about over 700 meals a week, um, maybe close to 800 now as we've added a couple more restaurant partners in neighborhoods and a couple more shelters. Um, so the numbers and the impact is really significant. I mean, if you think about a restaurant that has had a steady stream of income one day a week that they could rely on for almost two months during the peak of COVID-19, you know, that, that's significant. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I think your model is such a great inspiration for others to you know, act on ideas that they might have rather than just talk about ideas. And so um, what advice would you give others, um, other, you know, people in neighborhoods who are looking at ways that they can help, other people who are looking at crowdfunding campaigns, just, you know, to close out, how would you um, give them some advice and instruction? Well, I think for us, we didn't know. There were a lot of unknowns, you know, of course, many unknowns given what's going on with 
you know, coronavirus. But, but then in addition, you know, we didn't know how it would go, how it would turn out. And so I think I would hope to really encourage anyone to just try it and to kind of think of it as a, a prototype or, you know, not feel like you you have to take on something too big, but even being willing to just try something, take a small step and see what happens, that it's totally worth it. And it could surpass your expectations. And then, you know, the great news is that you're helping more people and really, you know, contributing and, and just moving from an idea and taking the action and be willing to take small steps and see what happens. In, in the famous words of the Nike brand, just do it and just do it with a team of individuals with diverse backgrounds. I think that's what made this possible, those relationships. Um, none of us were experts at any one thing. I mean, I've been joking, Shuddy and I are trying to upload pictures. I'm not very tech savvy, forgive me. Uh, there, there are different things that will come up that through a quick Zoom call or a text, uh, I think any team with smart people can figure out. Uh, so if you have an idea, if you feel passionate about it, uh, find some passionate friends and just tackle it. That's great. So what is next? <laughs> That's a, such an intriguing uh, question. We've been asking ourselves that. And one thing I will also say is that we have been in really good communication as a team. So we have a group text and we have a shared Google folder and we just set up these um, channels that work well for us. And so I think that has been a, another thing that has made this really work is that we've been committed to staying in frequent um, communication and, and really being supportive of each other and being positive. And so I think because of all of that, I think we do hope that something can move forward coming from this. And I don't know that we've figured it all out yet. Jeremy, do you want to add in here? <laughs> yeah, I, I echo that same sentiment. We haven't figured it out. Um, I think that some parties have expressed interest in seeing what we'll do as well. Some parties have expressed an interest to support. And again, we don't know what that looks like. We all have full-time responsibilities. Um, and I don't believe this challenge or this opportunity going anywhere immediately um so in short tbd one thing though that we are um very optimistic about and it looks like it will happen as a result of this campaign as kind of a looking forward um we have been working with another local detroit uh media outlet and we have been in discussion with them about creating more visibility for these restaurants. And so the hope, and while it's still in the works, but there's active discussions moving toward this, is the hope is that we can get some more stories out about black and brown owned businesses, restaurants in neighborhoods, and almost create like profiles so that their stories can be told, that they can be elevated, and that the result coming from that is that people will patronize these businesses and have that intention and get takeout and get curbside pickup or delivery. And so that I think is the ongoing hope that they will continue to get more business and that they will become 
more visible in the community. Yeah, that's great. Um, you kind of touched on something which is probably a whole other conversation in itself is how you mobilize a team that can't really meet together, <laughs> you know, and how you overcome all that challenge in addition to the challenges at hand. Right? Well, it's possible. I think we are proof of that. And I think, um, Jeremy, you can probably add in here, but I would say that the communication that I had touched on that has really made this work. Um, and then also being willing to meet outside of work hours, you know, to hop on a Zoom call, you know, once a week or twice a week and to answer text messages at lunch or on the weekend. Um, so I think it's that the passion that we have around this cause to um, uplift these restaurants and help people in need, I think that's been a driver for us too. Yeah, I'll say the same thing. The, the, the power of a text group is uh, unmatchable. Uh, if, you, if you excuse my typos, you usually understand what I'm trying to say. Uh, but uh, many of those gaps were able to be filled in via Zoom call. And everyone was super flexible, had calls Sundays at 10 o'clock at night. But I think to Sally's point, we were all passionate about this project and weren't bothered about spending a little bit of extra time to see uh, some of our fellow residents and business owners and community mates um, weather this COVID-19 storm. Um, well, you know, it really is uplifting and inspiring, and I'm sure that the ripple effect will continue. Um, we look forward to, you know, hearing some of those stories about the restaurants and, um, you know, wish you all well in what you're doing, and, and I'm sure we'll partner together again on some projects. I hope so. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Building Vibrant Communities. We hope you were inspired to hear from our guests and learn more about how together we are shaping communities now and in the future. If you or someone you know should be featured on our podcast, let us know. You can tweet us at patronicity or email us at info at patronicity.com. Stay safe and be inspired. <laughs>